What is happening to our judicial system? <laughs> That's a question that we're going to dig into today here on Uncommon Sense. I'm Doug Morgan, and that's a question I've been asked a lot recently and gotten into a number of different discussions about. And so let's take a look here. There's a lot of material you want to cover today, and I have a short period of time to do it in, so let's go right to it. Uh, first of all, scripturally, we have to look at what a judicial system is and what it's about and, and I think there's a lot of scripture that we can look at that will identify this. Uh, first of all, uh, in Isaiah 1.17, it says, To learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, place the widow's cause, uh, plead the widow's cause. Uh, this is Isaiah 1.17 talking about the fact that we need to seek after justice and do what is right, have righteousness. Um, Hosea 12.6, so you, by the help of our God, return, hold fast to love and justice, and wait continually for your God. Um, again, talking about the fact that we need to hold fast to love and justice. Uh, how about Proverbs 21.15, when justice is done, it is a joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoers. I love that proverb, uh, really talking about the fact that there is joy in righteousness, which means that when there is unjust type stuff, we don't have joy and we see and we, we can even have anger. I mean, I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to warn you right up front, this might be <laughs> a podcast that might make you a little mad. Just just a warning. And if, if that's not something that you can handle today, maybe the next podcast is for you. <laughs> I don't know. But, but seriously, joy to the righteous, but terror to the evildoer. Uh, we look at Amos 5.24, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Jeremiah 22.3, thus says the Lord, do justice and righteousness and deliver from the hand of the oppressor him who has been robbed. I mean, we can look at scripture after scripture after scripture in the Bible, and we can see how important justice is to God. Uh, I, I love the parable that Jesus tells in Luke 18. And, and, and let's, let's read that together. In Luke 18, it says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought all, always to pray and not lose heart. Verse 2 says, He said, In a certain city there is a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Let me read that again. Verse 2 of verse 18 of Luke says, He said in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continually coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? 
I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is Luke 18, 1 through 8. Love this parable of the unjust judge. And it's talking about the fact that there are unjust judges out there. There are uh, individuals who are in a place of power and in a place to give justice, but they neither fear God nor respect man, and thus they don't do their jobs, and they don't provide justice to those that deserve it. I mean, why was Solomon considered so wise? Solomon of the Bible was considered one of the wisest men ever. And why was he considered so? Well, I mean, we can see, like, for instance, when he delivered justice to the two women with the baby. He, these two women came to him. They had a baby and both said, I'm the mother and I need the baby. This baby should be with me because I'm the mother. And the other one would say, no, 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 I'm the mother. That's not, that's a faker. That's not the mother of this baby. It's my baby and you need to, to, to give the baby to me. And so, of course, Solomon, as you probably already know, says, you know, I, 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 I can't decide. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cut the baby in half. I'm going to take this sword. We're going to cut the baby in half and give one half to one mom and one half to the other mom. And that way you both can have the baby. And of course, one of the women says, no, 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 that's fine. Go ahead. The other one can have the baby. And Solomon, of course, wisely says, then give that baby to that woman. Give the baby to the one that was going to give the baby up. Why? Because obviously she's the mom. She was concerned about the baby and not cutting the baby in half. Only a mother would want that. And only one who wasn't the mother, wasn't concerned about the baby, would allow that to happen. And so we see justice being done through Solomon through his wisdom. And he was considered uh, so because of how he provided justice to those. Now, you, you may say, well, th- when we look at our country and today and, and the judicial, judicial system that we have and some of the cases that we've seen recently, you, you may think, well, okay, you're automatically going to go because we just came out of this election season. We just, we, we've seen a number of, of cases go to court when it comes to how the ballots uh, were, uh, were taken and, and processed. And you may say, well, how about this, you know, this Texas case that the Supreme Court just recently said we're not going to even listen to. Um, two justices said we will, you know, we'd be interested in listening to it at least. And the other seven said we're not even going to listen to it and threw that out. And of course, that has, uh, that has caused a lot of problems when it comes to uh, the uh, President of the United States, Donald Trump, and his re-election bid. Uh, but I, I will say that in this case, I'm not really even going to talk about that um, because in that particular case, that needed it, it needed more proof. Um, it needed proof of fraud, not just the that there was a process that was flawed. Now we've seen some videos, and obviously there was some there, there's there's some definite indicators that there was a lot of fraud there. I'm not even going to go there in in this podcast. That's probably another one here uh, coming soon. But but in in this case, it wasn't proven to the court that these things were, uh, that there there was specific fraud involved here. Now, you know, I I think that, 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 that a case can be made, but the lawyers for Donald Trump did not make that. And, and, and the courts did actually say, you, you, now is the time. You need to provide the proof. They didn't do that. And also, the other thing about the Texas case that's a little bit troubling 
is that um, even though there were like 18 states that signed on to this, um, I think Alaska came in at the very end, um, there, there, was, there, there was a troubling uh, precedent that was going to be set with this. And that is that, that, that uh, someone uh, within that state needed to be harmed, within Texas needed to be harmed. It's, it's called, uh, stand, uh, they needed standing to sue. Um, in other words, if you set the precedent that a state can sue another state because of something that state is doing, then that is not a necessarily a good thing because that gives a lot of power to the federal government. Then suddenly you take power away from the states and you say, well, the, these, these states can sue each other, so we need a federal uh, mandate on, on certain issues, and, and, and we can't have these, these powers within the, uh, the state level. And that's, that's not necessarily something we want to see either. It's not necessarily a biblical thing. But let, let's, let me uh, give you two other cases about what I'm talking about when it comes to injustices and things that we're seeing today. Now, um, some of this is coming from, from where, uh, you know, where I reside, which is on the West Coast. And I know many of you do, do not, and some of you even are in areas that that may you know the justice system is a, is a little more fair and than, than what we're starting to see here. Uh, but I'm I'm what I'm telling you is that that just because you may live in an area where the justice system is, it does provide more justice than, than other areas, uh, this this type of thing is coming to you, and and it's something you need to be aware of, and you need to take a look at what's happening, and and let's let let's take a look at what I'm talking about. For instance, uh, the Willamette Week newspaper here uh, on August 11th uh, came out with an article, uh, and it said this. It said. Um, what uh, in in real numbers? See, we ha- we have a um, we have a district attorney for for a, it's a, he's a county, the Multnomah County in Portland is the county for Portland, Oregon, and uh, and and his name is Mike Schmidt, and he is the DA. He was elected DA, and and for him, he he has said that he is not going to uh, persecute uh, individuals that he likes politically. And and he's start, and we're starting to see that. Uh, so uh, what we see here is um, that uh, out of 550 protesters, and we've had a lot of protesters in Portland, as you may know, <laughs> we've had hundreds of days, consecutive days of rioting and protests, and and not a lot being done about it because of weak leaders. Um, and out of 550 protests, uh, protest cases that have been. Uh, referred to by this district attorney's office between May 29th and August 10th, only 417 were misdemeanors, 133 were felonies, and most common misdemeanor charge was interfering with a peace officer. Uh, 313 cases uh, were were that way. Um, when we when we see that you had you had over 900 cases, and only and and and. 666 cases 666 out of over 900 were basically just let off without even taking them to court these people that that had felonies that had misdemeanor all different types of things were let out of jail immediately without even going to court why because this district attorney doesn't mind protesters and rioters and people who start fires and, and, and attack police officers. Um, 
You know, the district attorney's office, uh, he even, it says here, the district attorney's office will presumptively decline to pursue criminal charges which result solely from the preparation, um, or I'm sorry, participation in a protest or mass uh, demonstration. This is what Mike Schmidt, the DA, has said. He's not going to persecute these people. Crimes that will not be persecuted include interfering with a police officer, disorderly conduct in the second degree, criminal trespass in the first or second degree, escape in the third degree, harassment and rioting when it isn't accompanied by a charge separate from this list. So he is not doing his job as a DA. Now let's fast forward between May 28th and October 5th. Police Portland Police pre, uh, referred 974 cases to the Multnomah County District uh, Attorney's Office uh, related to the allegations. And he did, as I said, 666 of those cases were just simply let go. That is almost 70% of the protesters and the rioters in Portland were just let out scot-free. Now, if you, if you take a look at that, and you average that as far as other DAs around the country, if, if an average would be 15% of the cases that come to you as a DA, you would just say, you know what, we're not going to pursue this, and we're just going to drop the charges. If you get as high as 30%, I mean, there is something wrong. You have real issues, and th- something needs to be taken a look at, because that is way askew. This office is almost 70%. And we're not talking about cases reported to the police or even cases that lead up to an arrest, but actual beyond that, cases that were referred to the DA for persecution. 70% are not being persecuted and they're just letting out, letting off scot-free. Um, you may have heard about the Red House in Portland. Uh, and and it, it was a, uh, it is a, a, a family-owned, a family who owns multiple uh, houses uh, in Portland, and one of their homes, they took a loan out. They owned it uh, scot-free, um, and, but then they took a loan out to pay uh, the lawyer uh, for their son who was charged in a manslaughter case. Uh, over, a, over a year passed, and they made absolutely no payments on that loan. The house was foreclosed in 2018, which was uh, over two years ago, and the, the family let many friends and, and uh, protesters live in the house and even on the property, uh, and, and they refused to leave. And so when the, the new owner came, came to, to take possession, he couldn't do so because of these people that were there. The poli- police recently moved in uh, to clear the property uh, for the new owners, and they made some arrests. And here is an article from the uh, postmillennial.com, and it's uh, dated the 11th of December, so just a couple days ago. And it says, every person arrested at the growing Red Red House Autonomous Zone, they call it an autonomous zone, similar to the one that was in Seattle earlier, and uh, and that was uh, where they they just say say that police can't come in, we're going to do our own thing, laws don't apply in this area. And it was about a five-block area around this Red House they call it the RAS, or Red House Autonomous Zone in Portland. And, uh, and, and the, the uh, police came in and they made arrests uh, here. And those were immediately dropped by the progressive district attorney. It says radical left-wing activists have had 
uh, have been occupying the property known as Red House, uh, just uh, on, on North Mississippi Avenue, for months to uh, protest squatters who were legally served multiple eviction notices. But a police raid earlier this week led to a series of arrests and attacks uh, as the uh, as the sparks um, flew in this autonomous zone. Uh, later that day, they attacked the police, and the police then had to retreat. They did arrest some people. They arrested about 19 people who were arrested, uh, but then later were released without charges. Now, let me just uh, highlight one of the people that uh, w- that was arrested. It was a 44-year-old transsexual named Lester Lou uh, Resky, uh, Rexky, I guess is the name, uh, formerly known as Teresa Gr- uh, Gronwald. Um, and uh, and this, this person was arrested for a second-degree trespassing. He was quickly released without bail, and the charge against him uh, was immediately dropped, it says. Um, Retsky uh, was previously arrested at a declared riot on July 1st when Antifa tried to attack the Portland Police Office, uh, um, actually po- Portland Police Association office, and later a nearby police station. Riders threw large rocks at cops and started uh, fires in the residential area. Uh, and his felony riot, second-degree disorderly conduct, and resisting arrest charges were all dropped as well. On Resky's Facebook page, he called on the uh, others to support the Red House sovereignty uh, the day after his arrest. Uh, I'm without a phone, easy access to things currently, but I'm free and uh, defending the land, uh, Wesky wrote. Uh, he also uh, claimed that the, that property damage is not violence. Uh, at the raid on a Tuesday morning, local law enforcement recovered a stockpile of guns and weapons, and soon after, Antifa accounts on social media rallied their comrades to retake the space. Uh, authorities were uh, forced to retreat both on foot and by a vehicle, and police have not returned since. The zone is continue, c- continuing to grow, Uh, With additional barricades, occupiers have also laid nails and other booby traps on the street to stop vehicles from approaching. Uh, This is not justice. This is not justice whatsoever. Uh, This is a house that isn't theirs, and they are are taking military action. (laughs) I mean, basically setting up booby traps and everything else to try to uh, maintain this area uh, around this house. Um, Let me give you one more uh, in, instance here. And this is uh, from the Daily Wire on the 12th, a day later. The sheriff of Orange County, California, was ordered by the Supreme Court just, uh, judge on Friday to reduce the number of incarcerated people currently housed in the county's jail system by 50%. That's 50% to help curb the spread of COVID 19. Judge Peter Wilson ruled that. Orange County Sheriff Don Barnes had violated the state's constitu- uh, the, the state constitutional rights of the individuals in custody and ruled in favor of the lawsuit filed by the ACLU. Quote, in the in order in the order if the order stands, it will result in the re- uh, release of more than 1800 inmates, said Barnes. Many of these inmates are in pretrial status for or have been convicted of violent crimes and will be released back into the community. This order puts our community at a substantial risk and does not take into account the impact of the victims of these crimes. You see, a judge is ruling 
that 1,800, over 1,800 um, criminals can just simply be released on the streets simply because he hopes that they, do, they don't get COVID-19. You see, it, it poses a question here, and this is what I want to, want to end up here with. Why do we have a judicial system or a judicial branch of our government? Every every society has to have a mechanism for justice to survive. Why? Well, it's a place where individuals go to resolve disagreements. It's a place uh, to seek justice against uh, those that do evil. You see, without a judicial branch, there would just be chaos. Every society has to have something that, that, that is going to say, you know, if, if I have a disagreement with my neighbor, why, why don't I just go shoot him? Uh, why don't I take things into my own hands? I mean, I, I understand it's not biblical, but, but a society, not everybody in a society is biblical. And so I, I'm going to do what I think is best for me. And instead, and instead, we have a judicial system that says, hey, if I've been wronged, I can go to this judicial system and a just judge is going to give me justice. You see, Romans 13.3 says, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. You see, the Bible's clear. Justice is a good thing. Righteousness and wisdom are used when it comes to to leveraging justice. Our founding forefathers, our founding fathers, they, they, they tried to make our judicial system as politically free as possible. Yeah, you see that with the Supreme Court, for instance, not, elect, uh, not having these, these people be elected. Uh, they're nominated and then confirmed, but they're not elected into positions. Uh, but it still exists and needs to be addressed. We see even state uh, Supreme Courts and things that 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 haven't followed that that they are elected and and and, and many judges are elected uh, now we we see lots of of corruption because of this and 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 I could go on and on about what we see uh, in our in, in our society now with unjust judges but it is the job of the government to make sure justice happens within its borders a free society cannot survive a corrupt system of unjust judges. We need to do what we can as Christians, knowing the importance of having justice served and having a system that serves justice and takes unjust judges and and leaves them out in the cold. We need to make sure that we get them out 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 of their positions of power and that we have a judicial system that actually does offer justice to those that have been so wrongfully have, have been so wrongfully treated or or whatever their case may be a just judge is imperative that we have them in place in those positions now if you agree with me or if you don't agree with me that's fine i'd love to hear from you and of course you can email me anytime at for uncommon sense at gmail.com, it's for for at uncommon sense for uncommon sense at gmail.com, and thank you for listening.